Hi, I'm Pam Bailey. I am host of Voices Unlocked, a podcast produced by More Than Our Crimes, and we're dedicated to bringing the humanity behind bars out to you. Uh, We focus on the federal prisons. And there was a, a report that just came out from the Inspector General of the Department of Justice, and they sent a team sort of unannounced to inspect a medium security prison in Tallahassee, Florida. And the headline findings is they found prisoners being served moldy bread. They found bugs crawling in boxes of cereal in the kitchen. They went to the warehouse where they stored food, and they found spoiled and rotten food in all the containers. And you know, that sounds terrible. I, I talked to a friend who read the same report, and she's, she was appalled. And I'd like to be able to say that that was an unusual finding, and it's actually not. I hear it from members of our network all the time. And there was actually also a report that came out, I think about two years ago, from a group called Impact Justice. And they focused on food specifically. And they actually called food a form of hidden punishment. It's used as punishment by the prison system. So that's what we're going to be focusing on in this episode today is prison food. And my co-host is Irving Brockman. Spent about 30 years in prison, released in 2020. And I'd like to sort of, when I say prison food to you, what comes to mind? First thing comes to mind is thank God that it's over with. <laughs> Discuss. For most of the time that I spent, in the, especially in the federal system, getting a hot meal, food that was cooked properly, that was hard to come by. You couldn't wait until Thanksgiving or Christmas or one of the major holidays when most of the staff would be there to eat the food as well. So that's when you know that it's going to be cooked properly. Mm. But every day, the everyday meals, most of the times you walk into the kitchen and you immediately turn around. Rather eat a Roman noodle soup than go in there and eat what they have in the kitchen. If you can picture soup that they have on a hot bar, it looks like a bunch of beans, rice, and stuff that was left over from the day before. Beans are uncooked. Yeah. Rice is uncooked partially cooked. You go in there for some grilled cheese. You know, the days that they may have grilled cheese, the bread is warm and the cheese is cold. Even the juice. Like, I've seen that juice spill out on the floor. And then when you just go to wipe it up, like, that's, that stain is never coming up off the floor. So just imagine what it does to your insides. Mm. Yeah, it's sad because food is really one of the pleasures of life, if you think about it. One of the individuals I interviewed for the show his name is Elijah Williams. He's from a high-security penitentiary in called Victorville, in California. And what you're going to hear in his first interview bite, he focuses on the small portion sizes. This is probably one of the things I hear the most from network members. And I think may be surprising to a lot of our listeners who sort of assume that people are at least getting enough food to, to get by them. But keep in mind, in this case, we're talking about a prison of adult men, you know, who have, have appetites. I often hear that people, if you don't, if you can't go to the commissary, the prison store, to buy extra food, you'll be hungry. So this is what Elijah talks about. We undernourished because of the simple fact that we only get maybe 1,200 calories, sometimes nine, and that's with all three meals that you might want to put together, especially if you got to eat from boxes and box lunches and stuff like that, because some of them meats or something like that, they're, they're not edible. So you just have to just put it away and throw it away in the garbage or whatever, something like that. So then now you only got bread, apple, and you may have peanut butter, which is one of the favorites. They kind of like push that out there quite often. The other thing is they have a tendency of doing long lockdowns. 
and during these long lockdowns, you're not going to the store. We had went one time this year, 13 weeks without going to the store, without buying anything. So that way you have to eat whatever they gave you. It's difficult because you get very, very small portions. You got grown men in here, and you got some men that are bigger than others. People lose weight all the time. If they took a survey and see how many people lost weight here, it'd be a, a huge amount of people that has lost weight this year alone. So Elijah just mentioned, he, he refers to sometimes getting a box or bag mail. And I think probably most people, when they think of prison, if you look because of the shows we've seen on TV or something, they think of these big cafeterias or chow halls that people go to. So maybe talk a little bit about when do you go to a chow or a cafeteria versus, I guess, maybe during lockdowns, you end up getting bags or something. So for me, I was in USP Beaumont at one time, and that was the first institution that I went to where you stay locked down a lot. Beaumont had a nickname called Bloody Beaumont. Mm. So it was always something happening on that compound, and you get locked down. In 2005, I'll never forget, I got down to Beaumont in May 2005. And later that year is when the hurricane had hit Texas. And we was locked in the cells maybe two weeks. We had no running water. And the food that we was getting, the meat smelled so bad. You have to eat it because there's no commissary. Mm -hmm. It was nothing. You literally have to just choke down this meat that the color of it was gray-green. The smell of it was horrible. It was horrible. And going to the cafeteria was more of a benefit. The size of the meals that they give you, I recall several times that there was fights in the kitchen about the portions that would be given to you. And during my entire time incarcerated, I stayed under 200 pounds. Well, up until I got near to getting out, I came home and I gained 60 pounds in no time. So the so the bags, when you're locked down, you'll be fed food in a box or a bag or something A box like or a bag. Some yeah. institutions have boxes. Some institutions have bags. But they all had the same thing. I don't know how many institutions, but I know mainly for like from the Midwest uh, out to the West Coast, they give you this bag of water and you can smell the water. Hmm. It smells stale. I can't even describe it. It's inside of a bag, and the milk come in the same bag, and most of the time the milk is full. Well, I have a friend who just got out of prison. He was a government whistleblower. And one of the things he told me when he got out, and he actually just wrote a column about this that he published, was when he was in the kitchen, he actually saw crates of food that were labeled not for human consumption. It was basically meant as animal feed, <laughs> and they were actually using it in the kitchen. And it sounds shocking, but if you, if you read this report from Tallahassee, you realize that now this actually happens all the time. One of the other people that I interviewed for this episode that we've featured before, his name is Askia Africa Burr. That's the name he's taken in prison. And he's at a penitentiary called McCreary in Kentucky. And he talks a little bit about how it's actually pretty routine to have, you know, uh, fruit, for instance, that's really on the edge of, of being bad. Yeah. And that's what their idea of fruit is. So let's, let's listen to him. Yes, I've had encountered rotten food, particularly rotten fruit. They give you fruit that's rotten. Bananas and apples that are already practically gone bad. It's only parts of it, little small portions of it that you can eat. But I'll say this, the food is either lukewarm or it's cold. You never receive a hot meal. 
that's that's the thing right there. The food that you're gonna get is gonna just be cold. If you get your oatmeal or your grits in the morning, they're gonna be cold, clumped together, stuck together with it's not an enjoyable meal. Well, you know, one thing we just heard from Askia, and I hear this a lot, is a complaint about not getting a hot meal. They want at least one hot meal a day. And maybe you could talk a little bit about the psychological importance. I mean, there's there's the fact that some food is meant to be served hot and also just like getting bologna or cold food all the time. What's the importance? What do you remember? Why does that stick out in your head not getting a hot meal? Most of the people that complain about not getting hot meals, most of the times that's because you're in an institution that stays locked down. And a lot of times the, the lockdowns are unjustified for the amount of time that they keep us locked down. And there are policies that every 72 hours we should have a hot meal. Some institutions mm-hmm. honor it and most don't. You know, as I said, I was in USP Beaumont. It was on lockdown, I think, for maybe three months. Maybe we received two hot meals during that time. And I think your body kind of craves something that it's used to. All of the food is bad, but I would rather eat it hot Mm -hmm. than eat it cold. And it sounds like it's like peanut butter and bologna, peanut butter and bologna, (laughs) like when you're getting these bag lunches. (laughs) You know, I would rather have the peanut butter Uh, over the bologna because the bologna is, oh, I wish you could see some of the photographs of the, (laughs) the meat that they serve us when we on lockdown. I've never seen meat that color before. In an interview that is coming up, he talks about the fact that he wanted to take pictures. <laughs> he, he knew if they would just let him take pictures of the food, people would understand. They wouldn't let him do that. They wouldn't let him send uh, pictures out. The next person who's talking is uh, Wallace Mitchell. He is from Beaumont. You, you were talking about yeah. Beaumont. He's from there. Wallace talks about your particular trouble if, let's say, you have a health condition that requires special foods, like maybe you have high blood pressure and you should stay away from processed foods or highly salty foods or something like that. And the prison really doesn't cater to that. So that's what he talks about next. Virtually everything you get is processed. If you're one of those persons who's trying to avoid processed foods, that's going to be complicated. Also, I've noticed that allergens are hard. People people that are allergic to nuts, allergic to soy. Soy is in almost everything now, and particularly in prison foods even in the commissary, right? So people have a, they're allergic to soy. This is very bad for them. That's just, that's not good. They're not going to have much to select from. So the next interview is from Tyrone Briscoe, and he's also at Beaumont. And you're going to hear that he's really disgusted with the food. And he he says what I've heard from a lot of the guys who who sort of wonder where the money is going. They know that, that all the prisons get, that they're supposed to have guidelines for nutrition, and they get a certain budget, and so where it's going, and they sort of speculate that some of the food, the good food, is being you know brought home by the staff. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but it's, it's a common, it's common thinking. And so we'll hear from Tyrone, and, and this is the, this is the soundbite that I mentioned where he says that if he could just, they would just let him take pictures and send pictures out of the food. That would say more than we could in words. You, you'd look at the pictures and you'd know the food was bad. So this is Tyrone. Right now, we don't even know what we eat. It's watered down. It's garbage. The bureau is worth $8 billion. There's no way that they could be worth $8 billion and be feeding like this. In the 70s, in the 80s, if you look at the food, and somebody says in the 90s, the food was all right. Right now, we don't know what we eat. Why is we eating like this? I asked them, let me take a picture of the food for seven days. They won't do it. <laughs> So I can send it to the Turner Affairs, but they they won't let me do it. 
He wake up and get a cereal, a little pastry fit in your hand, some powder milk, and an apple. We've been getting apple for going on four months. You can't get more than that as a Happy Meal. So the next thing that Wallace talks about at Beaumont, too, is the ones that are bright spot, when they're allowed to go to the commissary. Now, one thing I'm hearing about repeatedly is sometimes for uh, punishment, collective punishment, if there's a fight between two people, the entire unit gets their commissary privileges taken away. Mm -hmm. So this stops that. That means they have to rely only on prison food. So now you know why that's a punishment. But when they can go to the commissary, they've gotten really creative of taking the items they can buy in the prison store and making these really um, elaborate um, recipes, desserts, and and pizzas, and all sorts of things. And usually there's somebody on the unit who becomes known as being a really good cook. And he's one of them. And he, he gives an example of, of one recipe he makes for pizza. So let's, let's listen. We have developed what are known as prison recipes for multiple different things that we do with food, right? For example, we've learned how to make pizza virtually from scratch. Take crackers, honey buns, and we flatten them out with makeshift rolling pins, which could be anything that's round, it could be a deodorant or whatever, right? Into a dough, make our pizza dough, we cut up a sausages, different vegetables and things into that, and then we heat it with open fire that we make out of toilet paper rolls. What we do is we roll toilet paper into these things that we call bombs, and then we light them. And it causes it to burn with a blue flame, which is probably the blue flame burns harder than red flame. And we put it either in our lockers or in our metal tables, which makes it like a makeshift oven or a makeshift grill. And that's how we're able to cook things. Okay, so the one thing I was wondering, and I forgot to ask him during the interview, he talks in that bite we just heard about how they, they created their own fire using toilet paper rolls. And what I was trying to figure out, and I think maybe a lot of our listeners and viewers are wondering, well, they don't have matches. They don't allow matches in prison. So how, how do they actually create a flame? Well, you can take a AA battery, and what you do is you like shave off the side of the AA battery, and you get a piece of aluminum, like a little strip of aluminum foil from maybe the Goya pack or whatever, and you put one side on a positive, and you take the other part and you touch it to the, the shaved side of the battery, and you put it up on the toilet paper, and that's how it, it, it'll get hot. And it'll oh. flame up. I, I'm just really impressed by the creativity that, that they do to create these social moments with, with food. Do you remember from your time in prison, like, were you one of those people that was a, known as a really good cook? Or do you remember somebody on your unit that was really good at making cakes or something? Well, <laughs> there was a few people that I remember, because I know when I came home, I wanted to, I had a craving for cheesecake. So there was a lot of guys that I know that knew how to make cheesecake. And they would make cheesecakes with the graham crackers. They'd be good. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm just really impressed. That, to me, is a sign of hope, where there's a will is a way, and they'll recreate mm. a little bit of home in prison. The other one is nachos. So guys can make, I mean, I know some guys that can make really good nachos. They, I mean, they should be out here making <laughs> money off those nachos that they make in prison. So in the next bite, we're going back to Wallace, and he talks about these people who are so good at cooking actually have turned it into a side hustle, an actual business, especially like it's because it's really hard to get prison jobs, so it's a way to generate some income. People like me, I'm, I'm what's known as one of the institution cooks. I can cook 
any unit, I can take the bare necessities and make meals for men. And what it comes down to is this. All of us out in the, in the free world become accustomed to certain foods and things that we know. Some people use it to make money. It becomes what's called their hustle, their source of income or supplementing their income, right? Some people give it away. Uh, you might have, you have different, various different grand groups in prison, gangs, geographical locations, religious groups, right? Everyone runs with a certain group of people, right? And so you might make something for your group. You might be celebrating something for your for your particular group or something. It might be a religious holiday or something to that effect right there. And so you might put together a meal for the people in that group. And so you spend your time up to that day, everybody collecting and saving stuff, chipping in, and then you start making the meal the day before the celebration. So I just came back not too long ago from an international prison reform conference in Belgium. And I found it both discouraging and inspiring. Discouraging in that the U.S. is way behind, <laughs> but inspiring in that um, hearing what some other places are doing. And one of the things they talked about was food. And there's a number of Western European prisons that are now allowing prisoners to officially do their own cooking, not on this surreptitiously on the side. They actually have a kitchen for each unit where they can go in, I mean, with, with knives and, you know, everything. <laughs> I know, right? And, and they partner with local suppliers. So they you have, like, local farmers. So they're bringing in fresh vegetables. And there's some choice involved. They're not, like, dictated to in terms of what you have to make. And it's actually working out really well. It's a privilege that they really like. So they, they do what they have to do to, to maintain it. And it's healthier. They actually have found they're doing a study and they don't have the results in yet to, to watch like the kind of health benefits of having fresh vegetables. And so I, that's, that's a sign that other people are recognizing the importance of food and maybe the U.S. can get to that sometime in the future. So on that inspiring note, we're going to end this episode. I hope that everybody out there will follow, subscribe to the podcast so you'll see future episodes and share it with your friends. Thank you. Thank you.